We acknowledge that the name Moroni was taken from the Wadi Wadi Nation without permission and we are striving to do better for future reconciliation. Hey everybody. Um, this is back on Evan and Isaiah's post-ironic parables. Um, today we've got a very special treat. We're reading Grug Learns to Cook by Ted Pryor. Now, there's a lot to unpack in Grug Learns to Cook. Um, it's, a, it's a cautionary tale in some ways. In some ways, it almost harkens back to uh, Aesop's fables in the moral uh, values that it espouses. Um, I think, first of all, I'd like to unpack the cover. So, Grug, that is the main character, is some sort of anthropomorphic furball and the cover shows him attempting to cook some sort of soup mixture with a little hat on. Um, now, I personally think that this is the sort of um, imagery that it, it harkens back very much to our religious imagery of Jesus and the Last Supper almost in how Grug is attempting to, to make his, his supper. Uh, I was wondering if you, do you have anything uh, to say about that? Yeah, that's amazing. It, I feel like it brings forth some religious iconography. Uh, it reminds me of a passage, I think it's in uh, Exodus 13, verse 5 to 8, where uh, it's, I think, the fourth miracle Jesus performs in the Bible. He's faced against an army of, I think, five, 500 men, all running at him. Um, and, and they're all innocent, um, and just, they've been slaves, they've been locked up, and they want to be free, and they're running to him uh, for Jesus to save them, and Jesus clicks his fingers, and they all are decapitated instantly, um, because they all have previously once in their life sinned, um, and thus are doomed to hell. And I feel like what the author's trying to say, like really, really, um, it really connects with that, you know, the, the fear of God, the, um, the overwhelming darkness and the dread and the, the hopelessness, I guess, with the how, how despite someone being so good and pure, they can still look down on you and because you are not as good and pure as them, you don't deserve to live as they do. And... You are nothing, really. And so, despite maybe hoping for goodness, uh, no goodness will ever persevere, I guess. And so in times of darkness, you just need to lean into the darkness. And this author demonstrates how, how depressing and sad that is, but how, how real it is. And how, and he demonstrates how the protagonist feels. And here he's... He's, um, he's drawing links between the antagonist and Jesus. And it's actually really interesting because in a verse, I think it's in uh, from a letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, it's the one where Jesus declares that thou shalt not choose, shoot laser weapons. It's, it's really interesting that he actually kills people with laser weapons in that verse. And so thus he's quite hypocritical. And it shows that, that you can't really trust what people say 
and thus the protagonist could be the antagonist and the antagonist could be the protagonist and the hero's journey is a circle but it's also a pyramid and a square shape yeah i think that's that's a very interesting point to bring up um of course i'm not sure that laser weapons will be incorporated in the plot of this book but um the concept of course of you know um grave punishment and uh divine miracles to incur punishment on sinners is not lost on me um given of course the status of grug as um an an affront to god um so i will just move on because i'm quite eager to unpack what this book has to offer so the first book the first uh page has grug had a new cookbook he decided to try tea tree soup gum leaf rolls and carrot cake which is a very interesting thing for grug to attempt to cook um cuz as everybody knows um carrot cake and soup are actually completely incompatible uh in terms of um the causal laws that govern our universe um it's actually it was actually found back in the 80s that carrot cake and tea tree soup are very similar like um matter and antimatter will actually destroy each other on contact. So, Grug attempting to cook these is very interesting because it could be interpreted as him attempting to create some sort of um incredible uh weaponry with the the creation of this food. What do you uh what do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Oh, okay, yeah. Awesome. Um and as well as this there's also a lot of um very powerful potent imagery on the first page with Grug reading this cookbook in front of um his fire and of course the fire within the home um has uh connotations with the hearth in um more mythological texts the hearth which was of course the center of um the the home of domestic living of uh that sort of extremely uh cozy domestic aesthetic So it's interesting to see them reconcile the fact that you know Grug is um an abomination against uh God uh by you know contrasting it with the the hearth which is of course something which is inherently intended to be good. So what what do you what do you what do you make of that? I mean it really depends on how you approach it. Cuz if you take what we were talking about first and combine that with what we were talking about uh secondly you can kind of see the contrast between the two things and that forms a really nice kind of contrasting duality between them which i think echoes what the author is trying to say um you know you've got the protagonist you've got the antagonist you've got good and evil you've got light and dark really really bringing forth the kind of how do you say it? i guess the kind of kind of confrontation between good and evil and i think that's really emphasized here Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Um so I'll turn on to the next page here, which essentially says the recipe for soup said chop up the tea tree leaves. And then the next page says he picks some tea tree leaves and gum leaves from the tree, which is interesting because Of course, you can can you pick both tea tree leaves and gum leaves from a tree which is ostensibly not described. For I would not know if this is referring to a Californian redwood 
or a eucalyptus tree, which seems like a failure on the on a part of the author to, you know, impart that sort of knowledge onto the readers, which would be so important, especially to the plot of this story. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, that's fine. Um, I think that it's it's still a very uh, interesting point to raise, but I think that like I still think that there's a valid point to be made. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I still think there's a valid uh, a point to be made about uh, really the the descriptive um capacity of the author, given, of course that he doesn't describe. No, I don't think so. All right, let's move on. Grug cooked the mixture over his fire to make tea tree soup. Now, this is also interesting because assuming that tea trees and gum leaves are referring to the eucalyptus tree, most people are aware that eucalyptus tree leaves actually possess, um, they're actually poisonous to most human beings. So when, when Grug is making this tea tree soup, we have to ask, is he really, you know, attempting to, to create food? Uh, it harkens back to what we were saying earlier about um, Grug potentially being some sort of uh, metaphor for the creation of like destructive tools in that he's not really making tea tree soup here. Given the fact that, you know, eucalyptus leaves are poisonous, tea tree soup is more like some sort of insidious, evil poison mixture that he's trying to create, potentially as a, as a rallying cry against humans. And it's worth noting that Grug um, looks very not similar to a human. He's got, um, he's covered in fur and he has a nose that takes up the size of around half of his body and also doesn't have a neck. So it's not too far of a leap to wonder what happened to the humans in Grug's dimension in, within, the, within the narrative. What could possibly lead him to have that depth of, um, that depth of hatred for the human, humankind that he would make this tea tree soup, um, which really serves no function other than potentially being a way to poison um, people Grug doesn't like. So I think this is a, a very interesting um, thing to think about. Um, but yeah, I think reading it in this, this double layering context, not just as food, but as also a weapon of war, um, is quite, a, quite an interesting thing the author has decided to do here. It's very clever. That's really clever what they did there. The comparison they just made, it, oh, it makes me think of how much I hate cyclists. And when I'm on, driving on the road, just want to ram into them and crumple their bike and their bodies with them. It's, it's so clever. Yeah, so that is um, an intriguing part of the book. So past that, it says... Obviously, Grug cooked the mixture over his fire to make tea tree soup and then put them in a pot and cover them with cream. So presumably he's talking about the, the tea tree soup in this context, adding cream. Now, most people who've made um, curries of any sort know that cream is a vital aspect of 
creating uh, a curry with the right consistency. You don't want it to be too watery. You want it to have that, um, that creamy, saucy consistency that really allows it to um, bring out the flavor in the, the ingredients, which is it's quite interesting. Um, I don't know if you've ever cooked curry before, but it's a very interesting uh, aspect that Grug decides to put cream in there as well, almost as if he's trying to create a kind of dish which despite being ostensibly poison because it's tea tree leaves soaked in water, um, he's trying to cover it with cream. And obviously humans love cream. Uh, we eat lots of dairy for people who aren't lactose intolerant. Um, we eat cheese, uh, cream, whipped cream, um, various other forms of dairy-based products. And I think that's just uh, it's an interesting way for the author to contrast the the, the inherent inhumanity of Grug as an abomination against mankind, uh, attempting to create these chemical weapons to contrast it with, you know, the, the relatively humble and harmless nature of cream. What do you, what, 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 what do you make of that? When we see Arthur um, finally, finally uh, mend their relationship with Jasper, it's, it's really interesting how it just evokes such strong emotions and it's it's almost a piece of meta writing because whilst the author is getting Arthur to to mend their relationship with Jasper, uh, through doing it, the author is also mending their relationship with us, the listener. And to add an extra level of uh, kind of metaphysical analysis to this, you are uh, at the moment currently listening to our show and you were feeling really weird about it. And it's kind of strange that we're talking to you right now, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah? So, so why don't you... Why don't you... Read this book for yourself. Now, it's, it's less meta, because you don't have this extra layer of us having to... Um, have to, you know, explain it to you. And if you read it yourself, then you can create your own meta-narrative from that... Um, and that's, that way you can draw your own conclusions and, and feel more at one with Jasper and Arthur and the author and, and the whole universe because you were really nothing in the scheme of things and I know that makes you sad. What are your thoughts, Evan? Yeah, so um, obviously Arthur and Jasper are a concurrent part of Grug, um, Grug's world. And I do think there is some degree of value to reading Grug Learns to Cook by yourself. The emotional highs and lows um, that you get, of course, of reading uh, extremely powerful emotional narratives um, will never be, you know, uh, you can never really experience them secondhand through analysis like such as this show. Um, we aim mostly to unpack uh, potential hidden meanings and um, literary metaphors which might originally go over the head of um, a lot of people. And uh, it's also, you know, it takes a lot, a lot of reads for us to unpack um, sort of what the author could possibly have meant when they, when they, when they write. So, um, yeah, there's definitely uh, value there. And um, Grug, in particular, is kind of a meta character in that he's, he's sort of like not even just a furry anthropomorphic animal that could even 
metaphorically be seen as the stand-in for all of humanity's vices. You know, being, you know, um, an animal without a mouth, you could see that as, you know, the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil uh, proverb. Grug, while he can see, refuses to, to speak and refuses to engage in this sort of um, language which he uh, potentially views as beneath him when he's learning to cook, which is um, incredibly interesting to see. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, I'll move on to the, the next page, which is, Now it was time to make the carrot cake. He beat flour, eggs, and milk together in a bowl. Now, there's a lot to, to say about making carrot cake. Uh, ma mainly that flour, eggs, and milk by themselves do not actually constitute carrot cake. Um, you need sugar. You need potentially baking powder. You need uh, baking soda, baking powder, um, salt, potentially, carrots. And, of course, you need a, a cake pan and a tin. So this book is really not an example of how to make a carrot cake. In fact, if I made a carrot cake similar to Grug, um, I, I, I do not think it would turn out very well. So it's interesting that the author has attempted to put such a, a false method towards uh, making a carrot cake in his book. Because, uh, so the author of the book is called Ted Pryor. So um, when Ted wrote this, we really have to question, has Ted Pryor ever cooked a carrot cake? And maybe carrot is a later plot element that gets introduced later on, but I don't see why he wouldn't incorporate um, the, mo the recurring motif of carrot within a carrot cake um, on this page right now. I don't see the point in potentially delaying it, but perhaps further in the book, he does refer to the actual carrots within the carrot cake. <clears throat> Grug licked the mixture. Delicious. So this comes with a picture of Grug licking the mixture, which is... um. He's covered in the soup and is trying to lick it off of his face, which is very interesting to see. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the proverb of um, do not um, count all your eggs in one basket, uh, as Grug has done. He has put the flour, eggs, and milk together in the bowl and... It's very similar, of course, to the proverb of don't put all your eggs in one basket. And we have to question whether, whether Grug is putting too much emphasis on attempting to make the carrot cake and licking the mixture um, and enjoying it and not taking enough time to, you know, really uh, do some long-term planning. And is uh, also obviously not wary of the potential for biocontamination when you lick the active ingredients, the active ingredients you're using to cook. Um, of course, it could be solved if potentially Grug has an oven, but I do not think Grug has access to um, modern technology. Um, if not solely because he lives in a um, medieval-era-esque house and is eating, uh, living off the land, foraging, you know, these, these gum leaves and tea tree leaves. But also, possibly because, as I was saying previously, Grug is um, an affront to mankind and as such would not be allowed to access mankind's technology. 
So it's a very interesting page to unpack. Um, I'll move on. Next, Grug cut up the carrots and the spinach. He mixed them with eggs and flour. Then he wrapped the mixture in gum leaves to make gum leaf rolls. So it seems here that Grug is making some sort of carrot, spinach, gum leaf, egg and flour, carrot cake roll, which is not intuitive to how I would make a carrot cake. But I actually think this is potentially um, a bit of uh, artistic license and the, the method created could potentially actually be the intent of the author. So perhaps my previous statements about Grug having the incorrect process for making carrot cake was wrong. Um, I don't know, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on um, the author's intent here? I actually disagree with what the author's saying here. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that through the, um, the various metaphors and similes and the intertextual correlations, it's pretty obvious to see that the author is saying that all people under the age of three uh, should not be able to drive a car. And I, I fundamentally disagree with that because when you're younger than three years old, you actually have, have an increased, increased cognitive ability. Um, some studies were done recently, I believe, that show that when you're younger than three years old, the links uh, between the the links between uh, the neurons in your brains are so sp sporadic that um, you have an IQ of, of over, over, I think, that of Albert Einstein when he was 47 years old. Um, and so you're so perceptive to everything because you're witnessing everything. And because you're witnessing everything also for kind of like, not the first time, but everything seems much newer to you because you're still young and you have less experiences. Thus time seems to move slower to you, which means if you're under three years old, you actually have a better perception of what's going on because you have more time to sit with it and look around and understand. So if you're driving, you can look around and see there's a car coming at you. And if it's going to T-bone with you, you can actually stop because you have that extra time to, to kind of understand that. Um, and I think that's... I think I, I disagree with what the author's saying. Yeah, I mean, that's very uh, an interesting diatribe about, you know, the cognitive abilities of babies. And um, I've actually um, tested this empirically as part of my research, um, the cognitive abilities of babies, which is only semi-related to Grug. But obviously, um, Grug can be enjoyed by a wide range of audiences, including young children, which is... Um, so we really should bring up, you know, the meta-narrative of who is, who is reading this book about creating carrot cake and how this could potentially impact them. Um, especially kids under the age of three, um, as you were saying, you know, have very incredibly powerful cognitive abilities. So I feel that um, if I was a child reading this, and obviously I'm not privy to that perception, um, I would be thinking, wow, so this is how carrot cake is made. And I could potentially be misled by Grug in um, making this carrot cake. And as well as this, um, I personally, as I was saying previously, have tested the cognitive abilities of babies. Um, one of the experiments involved in my thesis was actually I got a baby who was around six months old and I put, him, I put, a, I put the baby in a room and I showed him a variety of images, um, of shape images. 
like uh, a square, a circle, and a triangle. And I asked him, I asked the baby, you know, what, what emotions correlate with each um, square or, you know, shape? And the baby actually did something that really surprised me. Um, it waddled over to the triangle and then it shat itself. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, but the mixture oozed out. So Grug ate the gum leaves instead. Very tasty. So Grug here is shown eating gum leaves by themselves, which presumably is not good for you. However, Grug is also, as I was saying, um, potentially the culmination of all of humanity's worst, worst vices and uh, really one of the most evil possible creatures uh, in the universe. So the fact that Grug is able to eat gum leaves, something which is very deadly poisonous, um, you have to have a very specialized biology to eat gum leaves. The fact that Grug is eating these and not showing any sign of remorse or, or pain, um, in fact, exclaiming that they're very tasty, could potentially indicate that Grug himself is more toxic than the gum leaves, which is um, a fascinating um, metaphor for, you know, Grug's, Grug's personal place in the universe and uh, the sort of thing that he, he represents. Um, I'd also, you know, there's some very powerful imagery here of Grug with the gum leaves in his mouth, staring vaguely into space. Um, it doesn't appear that he has eyelids of any sort, but he's stuffing the gum leaves into his mouth, almost as if it were representative of the sin of um, gluttony. Um, he's just absolutely no control over his own bodily functions. He's, he's been eating the mixture. He's been licking the mixture. He's been chomping down on the gum leaves, unable to stop himself um, without a modicum of self-control. So I think that the imagery, especially, you know, um, working with the book, really serves to, to add towards the overall theme. What do you think? The author uses here is just, it's really fantastic. Um, you know, it, it rivals Edgar Allan Poe uh, and, and J.K. Rowling and, and uh, Shakespeare even. It's just, it's so rich and it really, it really makes, you, makes you feel like you're there. You, you understand what's happening. You understand that our main character is, is feeling these feelings that are, they are feeling, you know. And it's, I just, I'm amazed at how they do it. Because I've, I've tried writing before and my imagery just always seems to, not fall flat. I consider myself quite a quite a creative and good writer, but it just never seems to reach the same heights or peaks as um, as this author. Because it's it's just really amazing, you know. When they say the scary cloud, it really makes you think, "Holy shit, that cloud is scary!" Um, and it's grey, and I don't want to be near that cloud. Why? Why would I want to be near a scary cloud? Because if I'm near a scary cloud, I could get electrocuted or I could get rained on. And, and if I get rained on, then I'll, I'll, I'll get wet. And if I'm not able to dry off quickly or if it keeps raining um, and it soaks through all my clothes, I could get really cold. Uh, in which case, I could develop hypothermia, which would make me really sick. Um, and in really bad cases, would actually 
could actually lead to death. Um, and you might be thinking, well, what if I'm not wearing clothes? But that's, that's not good either because clothes are actually used for warmth. And without clothes, you'd be even less warm. But if it's still raining, you'd still be wet. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just amazed at how this author can do this. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, Evan? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, the, the power of Ted Pryor to conjure up these images of Grug eating the leaves and then actually manage to uh, contract, I suppose, an illustrator who manages to capture these, this um, verbal imagery with such amazing depth and insight is... Um, it's, an inc- it's a skill possessed by very few people. And so I think Ted Pryor, um, in his use of imagery in, in Grug, is actually could be seen as one of the greatest authors of our generation. Um, and as we know, those are, those are one in a million chances. But I, I genuinely think that this could be the case. Um, so I'll move on to the next page. Grug baked the rest of the mixture, but it came out burnt and black. He put carrots on the top to make a carrot cake. So this appears to be the other aspect of the carrot cake where he puts the carrots on top. And it's worth noting that in the image here, he has not cut up the carrot or washed the carrot or washed his hands. And the cake came out burnt and black, almost as if it was trying to, um, you know, punish Grug for being such an, uh, an abominable creature. Um, almost as if the universe itself attempted to conspire against him so that he may not enjoy the, um, the virtues of a good carrot cake. And we really have to ask, in terms of ethicality, whether Grug even deserves a good carrot cake. Um, as we can see, he's, he lacks uh, information about the correct hygienic practices for cooking. And not only that, but just uh, ontologically, he... Um, is the anchor for which all of the world's vices are contained. And so being such a concentration of these vices, um, it could potentially contribute to why the cake turned out burnt and black, as um, he actually could potentially just be corrupting everything material that is around him, which is a very very interesting aspect of Grug, um, as obviously one of the most evil creatures on the planet, um, to have that sort of... um, aura of corruption simply uh you know be around him at all times uh i don't know what you think of that but (laughs) so amazing yeah it's like it's just an intriguing decision he dipped the carrots into his tea tree soup and ate them very very tasty so i think that's very um Interesting how he dips the carrots into the tea tree soup, almost completely neglecting the cake. And not only that, but proclaims it as tasty. So Grug is essentially eating carrots, raw carrots, dipped into water filled with eucalyptus or gum leaves, which is obviously probably not the most healthy thing to consume. Um, If anybody is aware of the food pyramid, um... You should you should be aware that um, tea tree tea tree leaves that is gum leaves are actually um, on the bottom half of the pyramid, which means they're non-essential. Um, you can go without eating tea tree leaves and be fine. But there's actually an inverse of the food pyramid, which was released by the uh, ACC, the Australian Consumer Commission, 
um, in the late 90s. And it actually says, um, instead of the, you know, food pyramid, which tells you what's the most healthy, uh, nutritious foods that you can eat, it's actually the, the inverted version, the evil food pyramid. And at the very top of the evil food pyramid is tea tree, tea tree soup, which is um, very interesting because uh, the Consumer Commission actually commissioned a empirical study done into the effects of eating tea tree soup on people. And so what they did is they got 20 people and they got them to eat nothing but tea tree soup for around a week. And by the end of it, something surprising had happened. Um, every single uh, person who participated in the study left the study and actually came out talking like Joe Pesci. So I find that very interesting because um, obviously we don't know what uh, Grug sounds like. <clears throat> Grug baked the rest of the mixture, but it came out burnt and black. Oh, sorry, I've already read this page. Uh, I'm working with a paper form of the book, which is not entirely intuitive as I had to print it out uh, because, as it turns out, Grug... Um, Learns to Cook is a very difficult book to get your hands on. In fact, it's one of the top 10 rarest books in the world. Um, so obviously I don't possess the book, but I printed out a PDF copy, which is why I am unable to uh, get the page orders um, consistently correct. But as I was saying, Grug Learns to Cook is one of the rarest books in the world, which isn't something known by a lot of people. But... um. It basically all has to do with how the book was made. So there was only 10 copies ever made. Um, so what happened is that during the Great Emu War, um, they tried to make Grug learn to cook. And um, while they were uh, writing, that is, Ted Pryor was writing Grug Learns to Cook, um, the emus actually broke into the printing office and uh, stole all of the paper for Grug Learns to Cook. Um, so as a result, there was only a limited amount of copies that could be made uh, due to the emu insurgents. So I, it's a, if you, you know, examine the context in which the book was written, um, there are some very uh, poignant uh, questions to ask about, you know, why is it that I couldn't get an actual copy of this book? But that's beyond the point. <clears throat> now, we're nearing the end of the book here, unfortunately. So I will try my best to um, really sum up the, the, the themes examined within the story. So here Grug has given up on the, the burnt and blackened cake. So he says, <clears throat> then he carved a face in the cake and put it on his mantelpiece, which is a very interesting um, thing for Grug to choose to do. Uh, if you... Oh, that's just like when my son died. Ah, uh, yes, of course. But um, it's very similar in, in the way that, you know, if you're familiar with the ancient practices of medieval, you know, barbarism, you know, very, very long ago, back in the era of constantly warring Europe, um, this, the carving a face into the cake and placing it on your mantelpiece was actually um, a declaration of war. So what would happen... Um, and this is especially poignant during the Napoleonic Wars, um, before the 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 long the long peace, and um, <clears throat> attempts at uh, uh, a functioning confederacy of states. 
um, what you would do is that you would carve a face into a cake. You'd place it on your mantelpiece for seven days. And on the seventh day, you would send it to the enemy you would wish to declare war to. So there's actually cases of, um, particularly during the Napoleonic era, of, um, oh, I forget his name, Castlereagh, who I believe was the British ambassador in the, um, the Congress that uh, occurred during that time, the Congress of Vienna. Um, what happened is that Castlereagh received a burnt and blackened piece of cake. And apparently when he received the cake, he cried for seven days straight at the prospect um, of incurring war. So I think it's very interesting that Grug calls back to these motifs of, you know, war and death um, within what is, you know, ostensibly on the surface appears to be a very simple book um, of just cooking, you know, carrot cake. But there, there's a lot of deeper meaning that can be inferred um, beyond what the author is just wow. saying. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's just, um, it's a lot. <clears throat> and, um... Let's see the last phrase here, the last page here. Grug went to bed and drank a cup of his favorite lemongrass tea. And on the top, uh, it shows an image of Grug sitting in a hole, some sort of hole in the ground, sipping his lemongrass tea. And above his head, it says, home sweet home, which is um, a place. I'll, I'll describe the image so you get a better idea of what I'm, what I'm seeing here. But... Grug is in the center of the picture, uh, wrapped up in a blankie, and he appears to be sitting in what is just a hole in the ground with some straw on it. Um, now, obviously, we don't know the rent prices for Grug, but it's fitting that he lives in a hole in the ground, given that, you know, the closer you are um, to the center of the earth, the closer you are to where hell resides, or at least, you know, fictionally and mythologically, um, that is underground. That is, that is where, you know, that's the residence of death of Hades of, um, the other world essentially. And I think that calls back to, you know, Grug's inherent, um, divine sin of existence in that he is relegated to live, um, so close to our hell. So especially, you know, home sweet home as a proverb, um, indicates that Grug is not only accepting of this position, but actually relishes in it. Uh, I don't know what what do you think of um the home sweet home aspect of the book. I feel like this actually hits uh, hits really personally for me, um, not only on an emotional level but on a physical level. Because um, I'm not sure if I've told you this before, Evan, but. When I was really young, I think, I think probably about like, like six years old, I think, um, my father actually said these exact words to me, um, and it was whilst we were out at sea uh, on my dad's tinny. And he said these exact words to me whilst uh, our grandfather fell off board and was eaten by sharks. Um, and as I heard my grandfather's last screams, I saw the blood rise to the surface of the water um, and the sharks gnawing away at my grandfather's flesh. Um, my dad said these words. And so every time I've, I've heard them since, 
which has only been once actually. Um, so this is the second time I've heard them since. I, I have this horrible physical reaction where I just I just feel like I need to get up and and it's really weird and I can't explain it. And I've talked to my therapist about this and you know they they say it's not about understanding your feelings. You just need to let yourself feel them first and then you can try and you know uh, see where they're coming from. Uh, you know try and comprehend it. But when I hear these words, it makes me feel like I have to, I have to get up and dance and and scream. Ah, uh, Evan, do you mind if I just, yeah, okay, sorry. Ah, oh, sorry. Um, he's he's left the studio. Uh, uh, assuming, uh, presumably, to go dance and scream. Um, in any case, that is the end of the book. So while Isaiah is in absentia, I will wrap it up. Oh, I can hear him outside. He's um, <clears throat> chucking stuff at the walls, um, dancing and screaming, which is <clears throat> should be fine. I'll give it half an hour. But um, so that was Grug Learns to Cook. Um, I found it to be a fascinating parable about, you know, Grug, this, this, um, this affront to humanity um, and his aura of corruption not only spreading to, you know, where he lives and his position in the universe, but also in, you know, what he's trying to cook. Not only does he cook using uh, poisons like eucalyptus leaves, but the, the food itself seems to want to not be consumed by Grug the cake turning burnt and blackened could even be read as like a metaphor for Grug's corrupting aura and Grug's, uh, the, the general state of Grug's soul. So um, I thought it was a really interesting book. Um, that is unfortunately it for the week. We're wrapping it up a little bit short as the book was not too long. But um, I hope you enjoyed and We'll see you next week on Isaiah and Evans' post-irony post parables.